Our scripture lesson tonight comes from Leviticus chapter 14. I have to admit, I had, I had never thought of Leviticus as a, as a great Advent series, but the more we're working through this, the more convinced I am, Leviticus and Advent go really well together. And maybe even especially this section. But hear now the word of the Lord from Leviticus 14. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water and he shall be clean. And after that, he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day, he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb, a year old, without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering along with the log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they killed the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil, and pour it into the palm of his own left hand, and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering, and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford so much, then he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waived to make atonement for him, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering and a log of oil, also two turtle doves or two pigeons, whichever he can afford. The one shall be a sin offering, and the other a burnt offering." 
And on the eighth day he shall bring them for his cleansing to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb of the guilt offering, and the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand and shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot in the place where the blood of the guilt offering was put. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer of the turtle doves or pigeons, whichever he can afford, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, along with a grain offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for him who is to be cleansed. This is the law for him in whom a case of leprous disease who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, There seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterward the priest shall go in to see the house, and he shall examine the disease, and if the disease is in the walls of the house with greenish or reddish spots, and if it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. If the disease has spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which is the, the disease and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped all around, and the plaster that they scrape off they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall place, take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other plaster and plaster the house. If the disease breaks out again in the house after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones and timber and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever enters the house while it is shut up shall be unclean until the evening, and whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes and looks, and if the disease has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, for the disease is healed. And for the cleansing of the house, he shall take two small birds with cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop, and shall kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water, and shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn along with the live bird, and dip them in the blood of the bird that was killed, and in the fresh water, and sprinkle the house seven times. Thus he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, and with the fresh water, and with the live bird, and with the cedar wood, and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn." And he shall let the live bird go out of the city into the open country, so he shall make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. This is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease in a garment or a house, and for a swelling or an eruption or a spot, to show when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law for leprous disease. This is the word of the Lord. One of 
the things that struck me this week as I was looking at this passage was the connection between the the priest looking and then taking. Do you happen to know when is the first time in Scripture that somebody looked and then took? It was Eve. She looked and saw that it was the fruit that it was the fruit was desired to make one wise, and then she took, and she ate. I don't think it's accidental. Actually, throughout Scripture, there are lots of examples of looking and taking. Uh, this is just one of them. But part of what's happening in the law of the leprous disease, we are talking about the restoration of the unclean. We are talking about, in this whole section of the, of the book of Leviticus, how can humanity re-enter the garden? How, in one sense, it's the wrong way of putting it. It's not backwards, it's forwards. How can we come into the presence of God? How can humanity... The, we started off by looking and taking in the wrong way. And so now the priest will look and take as he begins to reopen the way. And we'll see more about this as we go forward. But we saw last time that any disease which uh, affected the skin could be called sara'at. So leprosy here does not refer to simply the, the, the Hansen's disease that we now call leprosy. Uh, and we saw that anyone who had such a disease would be quarantined, separated from the community, outside the camp. And as we saw, there's no, nothing in the text that, that talks about contagion. In fact, you can see it again in our text for tonight because uh, they, you're told to, oh, take everything out of the house before it's declared unclean, otherwise everything in the house will be unclean. If you're worried about contagion, if this was about how do we stop the spread of mold, then you'd be told, don't take it out of the house. If it's unclean, just burn it all. But here it's, they're told, take it out of the house first, because we're not talking about contagion here. The issue, the issue here is not, and I realize since we've recently had experiences with mold and things, everybody's thinking about that with houses, but that's actually not what the passage is about. The, so contagious disease is not really the issue. The focus is on visible disease. Israel must be clean in order to worship God and partake of holy things. So Israel must be visibly pure. Is, you know, there are all sorts of diseases that affect the inside of a person. None of those make you unclean. The only diseases that make you unclean are those that affect the outside. How can corrupt flesh come into the presence of a holy God. The outward and visible corruption of the flesh symbolizes humanity's problem. This, and that's where we saw, we saw last time Ephraim Radner's description of this as, as leprous disease is a sort of deformation of reality. It's the shadow of an unfinished or even reversed creation. Raw flesh, leprous disease, these unclean skin diseases are the undoing of creation, returning us back to the tohu vabohu, the, the barren wasteland before God spoke and brought order into all creation. And, and that's why the unclean person is being kept outside the camp. And he's to dress in a manner that makes clear from a distance that he is unclean. 
And since touching the unclean person rendered you unclean, Moses puts a certain responsibility on the, the unclean to protect others. So, warning, unclean, unclean, don't touch. The unclean person lives alone. And that's why last week ended sort of in the middle of the story, because how, do you, how can the unclean become clean? How can we be restored to fellowship? How can that which is unfit for the presence of God become fit? And that's what our text tonight focuses on. Because affliction with sara'at, with leprous disease, was a living death. And so the ceremony for cleansing is a sort of resurrection ceremony. The person is brought back into the life of the community and into fellowship with God. The initial rite of cleansing is enacted by the priest outside the camp. The leper is dead. He is outside of the camp. He has no ability to bring a sacrifice to God because he's unclean. The unclean can't get near, and so therefore the priest must go to him. Because the camp is the community where God's presence dwells in the midst. So when the priest goes outside of the camp, that is a picture of what our Lord Jesus will do. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, and indeed, he was crucified outside the camp, as Hebrews will point out. Now, what's happening when the priest goes outside the camp? What is the priest? Notice I didn't say who, I said what. We have our categories of there's the holy and the common, and within the common there's the clean and the unclean. What is the priest? He's certainly not unclean, he's definitely clean, but he's more than clean. The priest is holy. So you now have a holy one going outside the camp in order to seek and save that which is lost. Do you see what God's saying? The only way for the unclean to become clean is if the holy leaves the camp to seek and to save the lost. The purity laws are all about Advent. The holiness of God is not simply that which makes him distant from us. And he's going to stay there waiting for us to get there. I mean, as soon as you put it that way, you're like, well, of course it doesn't mean that. We know that. But what does it mean? The holiness of God is also that which impels him to leave the camp and go in search of those who are unclean. He comes to make a way to draw us near to himself in order that we might share his holiness. Because, of course, did you notice? What did it say about the priest who goes into this house and declares it unclean? Our text is very detailed. Does the priest become unclean in this process? The text never says so. And in fact... Everything in the text would suggest that if that, became, if that was true of the priest, it would say so. So the holy priest enters this house which has not... Now, if a holy priest entered a house already declared unclean, that's one thing. He's there to make the determination. Is this house unclean? When he declares it unclean, he does not thereby become contaminated by it. Already we're beginning to see, hmm... This principle that we, we tend to think of from the sort of our stereotype of the Old Testament that, oh, the unclean always contaminates the clean. God's already giving us pictures of here's, here's one who is holy, 
who is not contaminated when he enters something potentially unclean. And that means for us who have been united to Jesus, the Holy One, if we are a holy priesthood, we must go outside the camp in order to seek and to save the lost. And so the priest looks. And as he looks and does his examination, and then if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live birds. Notice, all of this happens outside the camp. One of the birds is killed by the priest's assistant in an earthenware vessel over fresh water, and the priest takes the live bird, the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop, and dips them into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Now, what's going on here? This use of cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop is paralleled in the ceremony of the red heifer, uh, which is used for the purification of the unclean in Numbers 19. And the use of the pair of animals, one of which is killed, the other of which is released, connects with the scapegoat ritual from the Day of Atonement. This is all about how an unclean humanity can approach a holy God. Uh, cedar will be the wood used for the temple. Scarlet is used all throughout the tabernacle and its hangings and, and, and furnishings. Hyssop is used in the sprinkling of, of objects. So all of these things are used in... This is, is, this is all about cleansing. And he, he dips the... The, the, the live bird in the blood of the dead bird. And he, he sprinkles the ex-leper seven times, pronounces him clean, and then lets the live bird fly into the open field. And all this ritual takes place outside the camp because the leper cannot come back inside the camp until he is cleansed. The ritual must take place in this place of death, this place outside the boundaries of the clean and the holy. And then it's only at this point, once this sacrifice has been offered and the, the scapegoat, or the scapebird in this case, has been released into the field, only now can the Israelite himself do anything. So restoration to the community is something that God does through his holy priest. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes. Notice this, he, he has... Now that God has cleansed the leper, the now ex-leper has covenant obligations again. He can do something. And this sovereign grace of God calls forth the response of faith and obedience. And we're told that he's supposed to shave off his hair from his head, his beard, his eyebrows. Uh, we saw last time there were lots of signs regarding leprous disease related to hair. So it's not surprising that in order to become clean, you have to get rid of all your hair. Now, think about how important hair is in the Old Testament. You know, the, it's, a, it's a humiliating thing to be completely hairless. But the point of leprous disease was that you were disintegrating. You were falling apart. You were returning to tohu vabohu. You were returning to this state of, of chaos. So the point of shaving all your hair is a sort of new birth. We saw last time that the, 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 when, the, when the, the leper is cleansed in some of, some of the te Old Testament texts, like in Miriam's case, her, her skin is like that of a, of, a, of a baby. In Naaman's case as well. Both, both, both of those. So this idea of the cleansing, shaving everything, 
becoming like a baby, as it were, a new birth. And then he must wash his clothes. Since he was unclean, his clothes have become contaminated. And then he must bathe himself in water, and then he shall be clean. He's clean, but there's one more step required. He must bring a sacrifice. And if an Israelite is going to bring a sacrifice to the Lord, what day must it be? The eighth day. Sure enough, on the eighth day. Because the worship of Israel occurs on the eighth day. On the seventh day of his purification, he shaves off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. Sort of the old is gone, washed away in the waters of baptism, as it were. The new has come. Now he's ready to worship God. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb, a year old without blemish, and a grain offering. So one of the male lambs is for the guilt offering along with the oil. The guilt offering is designed to remove unintentional sins regarding the Lord's holy things. The leper, being unclean, had been unable to participate in the worship of God for some time. And so the guilt offering removes any sin, any guilt attached to that failure to worship God. And that opens the way for him to then bring the the, the sin offering and the burnt offering. And the priests will... The priests then take some of the blood of the guilt offering and they put it on the lobe of his right ear, the thumb of his right hand, the big toe of his right foot. Does that sound familiar? That's what happened at the consecration of a priest. Why do you, when, why do you use a, a ceremony for the consecration of a priest when you're restoring a leper to the community? It's because the Israelite is being restored to the holy community. The holy priesthood, if you recall, back in Exodus 19, God had referred to Israel as a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood that was called to walk before him. So the ex-leper receives the oil on the same ear, same thumb, same toe, along with his head, to be restored to the anointed people. And then the priest offers the sin offering and the burnt offering, and he shall be clean. The cleansing of the unclean is actually at the very heart of the Christian doctrine of baptism. Just as circumcision was done on the eighth day, so also the leper was restored on the eighth day and re-enters the holy people of God. When we are baptized, we are cleansed by water and the word, made eligible to enter the holy presence of God. As we saw a few weeks ago, the baptism also connects us, like in Hebrews 10, to our consecration as priests, and so the restoring of the unclean. Again, there's the the, the baptismal imagery should should not be missed here. Now, in verses 21 to 32, you have pretty much a verbatim repetition of this, but now with just simply the... Uh, and two of the lambs are replaced by two pigeons or two turtle doves. Why, does it, why doesn't it just say that? 21 to 32 could be one sentence. <laughs> this is how important it is. For God wants you to understand that the cleansing of the leper is just as important for the poor man who can't afford much as for the rich man who can afford full price. It's the same cleansing. It's not sort of, 
It's not that you know the rich man who can afford it gets fully cleansed, the poor man gets partially cleansed. No. It's the same cleansing. We all are cleansed in the, in the same blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, part two of our chapter then deals with leprous houses. Uh, now, some scholars are troubled by this because there's no known disease that causes the same symptoms for people, clothing, and houses. <laughs> but, as we saw last time, the word sara'at means to be struck. And so there's no reason why it needs to be the same organism. What is similar is that God may strike a person, a garment, or a house with sara'at, what the ESV calls leprous disease. And notice first in verse 34 that the Lord himself says that he is the one who puts this leprous disease. If I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession. It's also worth remembering that this is, these are going to be houses that you did not build. These are houses that you have, you, know, you might say, inherited and from the nations that you've dispossessed. And so there is a sense in which this is, this is both with God's blessing that you're inheriting these, but also there's a warning. God says, I may strike a house with a leprous disease. It is no accident. It's the hand of God. God has afflicted this house. And you can see again that the issue is not really contagion in any sort of medical sense, since the family is supposed to remove all their goods before the priest comes, verse 36, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. If the issue was contagion, they'd be like, "Uh, if it's unclean, leave it there, burn it all. So if the problem was disease or mold or something like that, then one should wait until the diagnosis. But the point is not contagion. The point is uncleanness. The point is it has become corrupt. And that's where everything else is fine because it's, it's not corrupt. Uh, it's physically, visibly unclean. And so... Anything removed from the house before the priest comes is still clean. And then again we have this, that he shall look and then take. That the priest examines the house. Uh, many have puzzled their brains about, okay, what, what, is, this, what is it that's causing you know, green? Okay, green, we know some things that cause green. Red? What? Others are perplexed because, well, black mold, that would be like the worst of it. But it's not, if it's black, nothing, you know, nothing, nothing wrong here. It's not contagion. It's not health issues. It's that the house has become unclean. And that's, it's, it's not, it's not about sort of health issues. And the test is thorough because sort of the, the priest is to go through, look at, make sure, is this, and actually, when, when you look at some of the rabbinic discussions, because the rabbis really struggle with some of these, because um, I, I didn't mention this last week for, for the, the leprous disease one, but uh, some of the some of the, the, the issues with leprous disease that, that are described here, well, what do you do with say uh, Ethiopian Jews, who are uh, their 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 skin color is different and their uh, their hair color is different, and so some of the some of the things that happen to a 
African Jew has a very different effect. And so they, they struggled with, okay, what, <laughs> what do we, how do we do this? But the point of our text is that it's a visible and a visible and a spreading disease. It's a, it's, it's, the house has become unfit for human habitation. And this has to do with, as God is building a house, I mean, at this point it's not yet a temple, but the, the tabernacle is in their midst. God is dwelling in their midst and having a clean place, distinguishing between the clean and the unclean, so that those who are clean may enter the holy. That's the point of all this. And again, the test is thorough. Uh, Tearing down a house is a costly endeavor. And the only way to move a house outside the camp, stone by stone. It's worth noting that there are laws in the Old Testament regarding public health and safety. For instance, there's laws that every flat-roofed house must have a parapet. But there are no special ceremonies for building parapets. There is a ceremony for cleansing a house of leprous disease. And this is because the house is the dwelling place of the Son of God. The people of God. Israel is my son, my firstborn. After giving such careful instruction for the purity of his people, God is not going to allow his people to dwell in impure houses. He's showing Israel a picture of the connection between the Son of God and the house. As John tells us, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus himself claimed to be the temple, the dwelling place of God among men. So God cares very much where you live. In Leviticus 14, the priest comes and examines the house. And if he found disease, he was to shut up the house for seven days, just like a person being shut up for seven days. Then if the problem is still there, then the problem area must be removed to an unclean place. And if the problem returns after the contaminated materials have been removed, then the whole house must be destroyed. And more precisely, it says that the priest must tear it down stone by stone. It's, it's, it, you know, the text is pretty clear as to when there's they do this and he does that. And given that, it's, it, it's, presumably he could involve some others, but it's not the homeowner who's called to tear it apart stone by stone. It's the priest. Uncleanness has the power to contaminate all that it touches. Unless it is cleansed, it will destroy the community. And so the priest, as one who is holy, it looks at least he seems to be the one who can do this without becoming contaminated himself. After all of our experience with mold, it would be tempting to try to draw a straight line application to today. But that's not what our text demands. The point is that God is telling Israel that they are receiving houses they did not build. Don't assume that these houses will last forever. God may strike your house with leprous disease. If you try to hide it, you and your family will become unclean, which will bar you from fellowship with God and his people. Or you can deal with it and honor the Lord's holy priest who will come and seek to cleanse that which is unclean. Because if the disease is successfully removed, then the priest follows the purification ceremony for the leper with the two birds again, killing one and dipping the live bird in the blood of the dead bird. Now, in the case of a house, there's no eight-day ceremony. 
because houses are not part of the covenant community. The priest makes atonement for the house at the house through the ceremony of the two birds, the cedar, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop. Again, the standard items for purifying the unclean, symbolizing the broader picture of the, of the temple and the tabernacle. God's people need houses to dwell in. And, and this is where, sure, you can make a, all sorts of general applications beyond, because all sorts of contamination are a problem for humanity, whether mold or nuclear radiation in Ukraine from Chernobyl, or lead paint, asbestos, or we got, you know, forever chemicals. There's all sorts of things out there that are contaminants. Humanity is pretty good at solving problems while creating new ones at the same time. And it's important for us to remember that it is the hand of God that strikes us with these plagues. God has so ordered things that we should not expect to find a permanent fix. At the fall, God said, Cursed be the ground because of you. What does that mean? Well, it means that as we continue to exercise our efforts at dominion over the creatures, which we're supposed to continue, our efforts will never fully succeed. We will, as we continue to try to master creation, God has cursed the ground because of us, and it will bring thorns and thistles in place of our efforts. It doesn't mean give up and stop. What, are we going to say, no, we won't obey God because, well, wait, okay, if you say, no, we won't obey God, (laughs) that's already the problem. Yes, we should obey God. Yes, we should seek to... So, if young people, you're looking for a career, if you want to look for things, solving problems that others haven't solved, those are great things to do. But just remember, all of our solutions always seem to have something that backfires. And that just means you're going to leave problems for other people to fix. It's the way it's going to be, because until our Lord Jesus returns, things are not the way they should be, and our efforts are only going to get part of the way there. We are dust, and to dust we will return. So these are the laws for leprous disease. Now, what do we do with this? In in the New Testament, in Matthew 8, a leper comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. And Jesus stretches out his hand, touches the leper, and says, I will be clean. The Old Testament priest was never told to touch the leper. The Old Testament priest was told to look. But Jesus is not just the Old Testament priest. Jesus is the Holy One Himself who has come and so as He comes, He has come to seek and to save the lost and He touches the leper and then tells the leper to go to the priest and offer the gift that Moses required. Now, what is Jesus doing here? He he sends the leper to the priests. He's telling them to follow the Mosaic law on this. What is he doing? He is saying, go show the priests that the new creation has come. 
In the old covenant, the contamination of of uncleanness was contagious. In the new covenant, the power of Christ's holiness is contagious. The leper is told to offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. But Jesus is demonstrating the power of the kingdom. The power of the kingdom is, is a power beyond the power of the priests. And that is what should drive us in how we relate to the unclean. We should regularly engage with unbelievers in our work and life, but we should not join them in their practices. Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians, spends a fair amount of time working through this. He, he tells them in chapter 5 that, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. What do I have to do without judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Paul makes clear in chapter 5 that, that we should be engaging with the unclean, engaging with those, with unbelievers. But now, and he says, but what I'm telling you is don't associate with anybody who call, if they call themselves a brother, then don't, and, and, but, but they're living entirely contrary to that profession. That's who you are not to associate with. Because as Paul reflects on the cleansing of the unclean, he says in chapter, the following chapter, in chapter 6, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And... When you are washed, when you are cleansed, when you are sanctified, that cleansing, as you are joined to the life of the Holy One, decontaminates those around us. Which is what Paul says in the next chapter, in chapter 7, when he says that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So if if you've got a situation where a believer is, is, is married to an unbeliever, and Paul's dealing with, okay, you have... They were originally two unbelievers. Now one of them converts. What do you do? In the Old Testament, when you had this situation in, 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 the, in Ezra and Nehemiah, they told the, uh, the unbelievers to leave. Now, Paul said, so it's understandable that people in Corinth are saying, so do we have to get rid of our unbelieving spouses and, un- with their ch- and our children? And Paul says no. Because the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. How is it that the unbeliever becomes holy? Now, a couple verses later, Paul says, How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Holy and saved does not mean the same thing. So, because to be holy, and hopefully now in Leviticus things are becoming clearer to us, to be holy means to be set apart for God because 
the actual the, the, the focus that Paul's making here is otherwise your children would be unclean but as it is they are holy how are your children holy because the presence of the believing spouse sanctifies the unbelieving spouse such that the resulting offspring are holy not unclean in Ezra Nehemiah the the children were sent away because uh, although it's, it's, it's worth re- remembering which children were sent away those of with with when the mothers didn't know the language of Judah, it wasn't all mixed marriages. It was those who where they didn't know the language. That's why they have to have a commission to examine all these marriages. So it was just a matter of, yeah. So anyway, it's it's only in the case. But that's where this. But even that distinction, Paul's making the point that in Christ, the the. The presence of the believing spouse sanctifies the unbelieving spouse such that your children are holy because the holy decontaminates the unclean. The presence of one who has been united to our great high priest, one who has been united to Jesus, as Jesus has touched the unclean, has touched the leper and brought and, and sanctified them, hope made them clean, um, even so, our presence living in the midst of an unclean world, we don't have to be afraid of the unclean. Now, we cannot practice what they practice. That's part of this whole sequence in First Corinthians I wanted to call attention to. Paul's very clear. This is not saying, go be unclean with them. No. He's saying, you are called to be holy as I am holy. But what does God's holiness impel him to do? Go in search to seek to save the lost. And that's our, we should be engaging in such a way that we are living examples of the holiness of Christ as we walk before a a world that is uh, not holy and not clean. So let's pray and ask God to help us in this. Lord, help us, please, because we are weak and frail. And we hear your word, and as you tell us, that that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Lord, have mercy. Help us to live as your holy people, to live in such a way before the watching world that we will go in search of the lost to bring the holiness of your Son, our Lord Jesus, to a, a dying world. May... May your grace and your mercy sustain us and strengthen us. Help us, Lord, as your people to, to live in such a way that those around us will, will see your holiness, will see your love for sinners, will see your entering into our world to come and, dwell and enter and pursue us when we were outside the camp, when we were unclean. Help us to to live as your people in in humility and holiness all our days. And Father, we ask that as we as we do this, that you would strengthen us and Lord have mercy upon our, our congregation and 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 each each person who is afflicted and suffering and in, enduring trials and temptations and difficulties of various kinds. Lord have mercy. And as we as we seek to show forth the love of Christ in our homes. Help us as as husbands and wives, as parents and children, as brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors in, in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, in each place where you put us. 
Help us, Lord, to to be your witnesses in in bearing witness to your faithfulness and your love. And as we come to this, your table, we pray that you would strengthen and sustain us and bless us, that we might that we might partake of the body and blood of your dear Son. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.